If 2020 was the year of the down low, of hibernation, conservation, of hunkering down into your underground bunker, sealing that hatch shut, and living out the nuclear fallout in the fetal position, well, look out for 2021. As we step out into the remains, we seem to find themes of resilience, resolution, revelation, and ultimately, resurgence. Namaste and welcome, fellow travelers, to yet another episode of the Thigh Gap Podcast, the most unappreciated, underrated, and unknown podcasts out there, as we like to say. My name is Bogus Noog, and my co-host, being brute, is still cooling his heels off in a Kukatpali jail. Now, I've already covered this in the previous episode, so I'm not going into this again. We've got a great show for you today, made even greater by the undignified absence of my co-host. Today, I've got great tales to share with you. A tale of resilience down under, being the recent Indian-Australia test series, namely the Border Gavaskar Trophy, and a tale of glorious rebellion, where the robbers in turn became the robbed, in turn became the robbies, if you will, in Wall Street, USA. But before that, make sure to follow the podcast on on Spotify, Google, or Apple Podcasts. You can also write to us at mindthygap at gmail.com. That's all one word, M-I-N-D-T-H-Y-G-A-P at gmail.com. Just say whatever you have to. And follow us on Instagram at underscore thigap and Twitter at, at thigap. Do all of these things, and one of these days, we will feed you a cookie. Promise. The recently concluded Border Gavaskar Test Series between India and Australia is being hailed as one of the greatest test victories, if not the greatest test victories of all time. Now, before I go any further, I should establish my credentials. As a follower of cricket in a country where it is obsessively followed by a billion other people, Well, my standing is quite poor, actually. I don't know all the rules, can't name all the fielding positions, but it never mattered because I'm sort of a cricket romantic. You know, I've observed there are largely two kinds of cricket fans. Those who are rather pedantic and semantic, and then there's the other kind that floats in the clouds and stops and smells the proverbial flowers. The first kind, I've found are by far the majority, in my personal experience. They're on top of every stat there is. Which batsman hit how many sixes in a year while whistling and wearing a yellow chaddi? How many times a bowler scratched his nose before bowling a wicket ball during a solar eclipse? And how many times Kamran Akmal dropped the ball when Mercury was in retrograde? They love to get into these arguments speculative arguments about their player of choice versus the other guys. Then there's further speculation about how said player would have performed if he was born in the 40s, under different financial circumstances, and worse hairstyle. The detailed conditionalities of these arguments get layered quickly, and you find yourself in a daze before you realize it's less of an argument and more of a mosh pit now. 
Now at this point, does the appeal lie anymore with the game or the argument itself? Or is it with the mosh pit? It's not my cup of tea. I'm drawn more by the story surrounding the game. The human element. Or the drama of the situation. I'm very happy watching legacy clips of a bygone golden era. Where heroes of past swagger around. They walk the talk with fierce competitiveness that didn't, that didn't have to be pointed out or yelled about. A time of greater bowlers and batsmen, of higher risks, of bigger boundaries, and better commentators. These were also games of great intrigue, involving players who could be more human, more themselves, and that's owing to lesser scrutiny on the overall game but I think that enriched the overall narrative of the game. Which is why you can now understand the recent India-Australia test series, it was a gift out of the blue. A gift for the ages. All the drama, intrigue, twists of fate, competition, and great test cricket you could ever ask for. But also for it to happen Just when Test Cricket needed that shot in the arm, the timing could not have been better. Where do we begin? The yarns, oh, they started to spin much before the first ball was even bowled. Two premier bowlers out of contention due to injury. The captain, arguably the best batsman in the world, who at this point in the eyes of India's rivals has ascended to being the talisman of the team, is slated to return just after the first test, with three other three more tests to follow after that. The guy following him in captaincy? An absolute opposite to his flamboyant, boisterous characteristic. A quiet, introverted vice-captain bearing eyes of sleepy aggression. Let's keep score here. Three players known to be sitting out before the series even started. Australia, on the other hand, brings to the table shaky opening bats, a middle order of some promise, followed by possibly the finest bowling attack going around. What's more, with Steve Smith back in the squad and David Warner threatening to return from injury by the third test, things are not looking very good for India. Nobody, nobody had a single clue of just what they were in for. The first match in Adelaide brought a pitch that was basically Dance Dance Revolution. Apart from the batsmen and probably the money interests, everybody else enjoyed that, starting with the bowlers. A match that was largely driven by India goes into the second innings. And then, the loudest silence you could hear in Asia. All you heard was the painful sound of bat edge and glove. Rinse and repeat. India were wound up, their shop shut, inside of 30 minutes of play. A premier batting side getting bundled for 36, followed by a deafening silence from the Indian dressing room well until the end of the second test. But before we get any further, Adelaide also claimed an Indian bowling spearhead in Mohammed Shami who met a rising ball to his unfortunate elbow. 
four players out. Going into the second test at Melbourne, a ground that had caught a lot of flack for the cadaverous quality of its pitch, the deafening silence of the Indian dressing room was met with loud predictions flying thick and fast on social media. Predictions of a washout. Predictions of meek surrender. Lying underneath those arguably reasonable predictions was hope. Hope of basking in the Australia of old, of absolute dominance and destruction. Everything hurtling towards Melbourne at breakneck speed, while the Indian dressing room slowed down time for themselves. They saw the script being written, the proverbial writing on the wall, but no one outside expected them to have the gall to try and enforce a script of their own. The day after the 36 freak show, no one in the Indian outfit spoke a word. No one addressed what had happened. Players eager to start training were denied. Practice sessions were called off. In the evening instead, they just got together to play dumb charades, while the rest of the world was dumbstruck at what had happened. Day one of the Melbourne test, India loses the toss and is asked to bowl. Now statistically, a death knell for a team's prospects at this venue. But there is a twist. The pitch is green and new. It's a drop-in. So cue once again the Dance Dance Revolution. This is followed by yet another twist. Another one of India's spearhead bowlers twists something and has to leave the field leaving behind four bowlers and the demand of taking 20 wickets. These bowlers get into a huddle and resolve not to focus on what they don't have, but rather focus on helping each other carry the workload of the match. A collaboration so apparent you could see it play out from across the screen. On a pitch where every batsman danced, the stand-in captain who unceremoniously ran out the team's talisman the previous test, stands in firm resolve and makes a match-winning century. Not only this, but is also the one to hit the match-winning runs the next innings. By the end of the match, India is now out five players, and a fresh set of predictions are being formed in social media to counter the series-leveling victory. The venue of the next match was not even known at this point, due to, you know, COVID and the pandemic and 2020 and all that. But let's make sure you're keeping score now. Five players out. By the third test at Sydney, things are evenly poised with the series at one all. And as is their want, India lose an important toss again. India supplements uh, their bowling attack with an addition to take it from four bowlers to five, once again. But with a pitch more classical and their tenured pacers in the hospital, Australia finds wings to take themselves to their highest total in the series up until that point. In response, India falls short. Their young wicketkeeper batsman, a maverick, a destiny's child, touted as a match winner, Cops one on the elbow and it's unsure if he will bat the second innings. India's all-rounder spinner 
gets the thumb on his spinning hand dislocated by yet another rising ball. The guy who claimed four wickets and a fifth by a run-out that displayed otherworldly agility could not bat or ball anymore in the match. The bowling attack so loses one yet again to come down to four, while the batting is at risk of losing two in-form batters. Australia makes merry and capitalizes on their lead to significance, declaring at the end of the penultimate day to force a result. Now Sydney was critical as the next venue was in Brisbane and the last visiting team to beat Australia there was in 1988. A West Indies team captained by a king about 32 years ago. So India have a decent start with the bat and things stayed decent. That is until the Maverick came out to bat on painkillers. Partnering with India's wall 2.0 at the other end, the unstoppable force and the immovable object caused momentary chaos and even threatened the chance of victory. Fate, though, had other plans in mind, and so the maverick fell to temptation. The Australian shoulders finally perked up, body language once again getting busy. The best bowling attack in the world is now facing only the gatekeepers of the Indian tail. At one end, you have a broken back that could not stand if it sat, or sit if it stood. On the other end, a snapped hamstring that at first could not run, then could not stretch, and then could not move much at all. Together, this sum of broken parts stood for more than two hours, faced a total of 289 balls, swapped a chest guard at the end of every over, like they were swapping organs for survival and they drew the match in the end. You know, when I first came across the concept of test cricket, the very possibility of a draw result at the end of five days' toil, it seemed to me like a throwaway joke. It was ridiculous. But I have to admit, after watching this match, in the dark of night, with no one around, I went to an undisclosed spot and buried my words in a deep, dark place. For anyone still keeping score, this match claimed four more bodies. India are nine players out. The legend of the Gabatois looms large to Australians' delight, but so does the threat of near-certain rainstorms that could disrupt the result of the match. Um, with the series levelled at one all still. It is Australia who are now under pressure to win this match, to win the series, and actually reclaim the Borogavaskar Cup, while India only had to draw that match out to retain it. So, the Australians were praying the rain away, and the Indians didn't, got, didn't mind getting wet. They couldn't use the hotel pool in Brisbane as it is, you see. So with nine players out, they refilled the squad with whoever they had left at this point, um, just short of sending the coaching staff out to play. The bowling attack is now back to five, yet again. 
the match starts with the only predictable aspect of this entire series. Apart from Indian injury strike rate, of course. The toss. India lose again and are asked to bowl yet again. And owing to certain planetary positions, one of the five bowlers yet again has to walk off mid-over due to injury, leaving India with the auspicious four. It seemed like a cosmic requirement by this point. India are able to restrict Australia to a decent total in the first innings, but in response, they fall distantly short of the target, and before you know it, they are already down to batters 7 and 8. It's not called the Gavatuar for nothing. So, once Australia wipe this tail out quick and they take the match away, with a sizable lead the next innings, the series would have been won and the Gabba would have, been, would have claimed yet another victim. The batters at 7 and 8 though, both turn out to be joker cards from the playing deck. All manner of logical expectation, probability and rationale went out the Gabba's windows as they put together a record 123-run partnership to take India within a sniffing distance of the Australian innings total. This after they each claimed three wickets in the first innings. At this point, it is only human to sympathize with the Australians. It is especially understandable to sympathize with Pat Cummins. But Australia come back in the second innings with yet another daunting score on day four, rendered all out by India while everyone else were calculating the best time and score for a declaration. What followed on day five with India's batting was a perfect gist of the fight and aggression they showed in the series. Not raging, but relentless. A heat that was not so much red hot as it was white hot. A huge boulder rolling down the hill, gaining momentum and inertia, and your only option is to lay down and give in or jump out the way. The aggression escalated gradually and never gave in. Until, that is, at the very end where the unthinkable did finally happen. It was hard to believe even though all signs were pointing right at it. It was hard to believe even after it just happened. It was hard to believe days after the fact. I called Brute at the Kokatpali jail as soon as the match was won. I would have held back to watch the post-match reactions of the panel of experts, but Sony Live decided I should watch commercials of their shows instead for the 10,000th time. Whatever money I have paid to watch their stream of the match has been a matter of regret. But back to the phone call with Brute. In typical fashion, the first words out of his mouth were, Did you watch the winning runs? I said, yeah. For such a series, for such an ending, did it have to be Manjarekar? It couldn't have been anyone else commenting? <laughs> I can't say I don't understand his sentiment, but all things considered, Okay, all things considered, Manjrekar is fairly equitable in bits and pieces. 
Unfortunately, the truth is that there are other cricket media personalities that make Manjarekar look like Richie Bernard. Anyway, I'm happy Brute got to watch the match in jail. Speaking of which, I have an announcement to make. Drum roll. We have decided that we're going to work on an episodic special series on this test series. We'll be discussing it in detail with our individual perspectives and observations and in typical Thai gap style, we'll touch on some of the more subtle, nuanced aspects of this series that we at least did not see anyone else mention, as everyone and their grandma were pretty much caught in a rat race to put out their videos first to grab all the views. The amount of 36 all out, 36 all out I've heard, my body now twitches involuntarily if anyone even mentions the number around me. Even if someone says, Jubilee Hills road number 36, I'm down on the floor. And I'm the 11th Indian injury case now. There's so much more to this series than just its history or its significance or the entertainment it provided. And Brut and I, we want to dig deep and unearth all of it. What do you guys think? Do you have any ideas about what you want covered? Did you also feel the post-series quality of discussion? was unidimensional, repetitive, and not worthy of what just happened? If so, well, you can write to us at mindthygap at gmail.com or you DM us on our socials. Um, Let us know what you think. Um, It should be interesting. On a lighter note, and I'm just, I'm only saying this, um, you know, I'm not, I'm being half serious, not being very um, accusatory about this, but on a lighter note, I found it very amusing One of my other uh, observations from this series was how good Australia have gotten at their PR. Oh, their public relations exercise or expertise is just peaking, reaching the next levels. And I kind of don't blame them. It's understandable because even in a country with uh, like India, where the expectations of uh, on cricket are so high, astronomical, still. The way the media reacts in Australia seems to be a touch more, how to say, special than, uh, you know, how how it's done in India. Uh, Man, those Australian media people are something else, really. So I don't really blame them, them, but I still find the the end result quite amusing. If anyone is familiar with uh, this show called The Test, on Amazon Prime that Australia took out. It's a, basically a huge propaganda piece for how, oh, Australia was the victim and they're struggling, oh, <laughs> you know, um, and how they're turning things around and they're be- being a new team and uh, they've shed all the, uh, what to say, they've shed all the shadows of the past, you know, all the uh, the Darren Lehman phase of finding the line, you know, or we like to see, or we like to find where the line is, we like to get close to it, and we like to just juggle around it a little bit, just shuffle around it. We don't cross the line, but we're just there and thereabouts. You know, that whole proverbial, metaphorical, gray line, oh my God, that they had. Um, But now JL, Jesse Langer, JL is here to change things. Tim Payne is here to change things. Hey, everybody likes him on the team. So I could never get myself to watch that because, oof, it just stank. Um, I just watched uh, 
short clips on YouTube, and yeah, I caught the smell from that right away. It's just huge propaganda. Okay, I mean, it probably it's required for them over there because, like I said, their media is... Oh, their media is um, something else. And so I watched a few clips of that. It made me laugh. And uh, because we know, it's like, oh, we're changing our behavior. Please, please. All these years, all these years we've watched you. <laughs> you can't just... What what is this? Uh, uh, you can't just change clothes, you know, and be like, "Oh, I'm brand new." Nah, we saw that in Sydney, didn't we? We saw how the how the cl- how the uh, colors came out in Sydney, right? Yeah, can't wait to get you the gabba, mate. So it was never really gone, and quite frankly, I sympathize with Australia because they seem like a team uh, that really is fueled on binta, you know, sledging. It, it seems like it really adds to the game when it's also confounding for a non-Australian because even without the sledging or the binta, they're quite talented. They're quite skilled. I mean, they're really good. So from an outsider's perspective, it's all, it's always a, a scratch of the head for us that do you really need it? But the way it looks from their side, it seems, yeah, they really need it for some reason. From their behavior, it seems like they they really look disabled without being able to freely do their thing, you know, dance dance around the line and never cross it. No, no, we never cross it. We just move it a little bit. So, I, I mean, I, I figured if that's the case, you know, if that's really what's hampering you, that you're not able to shoot your mouth off. I mean, the solution is right underneath your noses. It was right there all along. It's the most uh, simplest solution uh, that you couldn't have missed. You know, it's, what do you call it? The simplest solution, Occam's razor, you know, Foucault's pendulum, you know, Badrinath's blade, whatever. But basically the solution is, you sledge each other, mate. That's it. If that's what gets you going, and sledging your opponents gets you in a soup with ICC or CA or BCCI or whatever, sledge each other. Get get each other fired up. Of course, not anyone, not everyone in that team responds to it the way you want it to. So, and they know better who in their team responds to it. Mitchell Stark responds to it. You know, if he gets pissed off, the balls are going to fly. So, Sledge Stark, you know, Sledge, whoever you think is going to perform better, um, Matthew Wade, Sledge Matthew Wade, Sledge each other, get the best out of each other, and it will leave your opponents uh, confused, for one. So, you have that strategic advantage, at least in the beginning. And the umpires can't do anything because... You're not going to complain to the umpires about your own teammates sledging. And it, it's actually going to get pretty scary for your opponents to watch you guys rile each other up to a frenzy, you know. And there's no worrying about where the line is, how thick the line is. Did we move it? Did we jump across it? Are we still shuffling around it? None of that concern. Go for it, you know. It's it's you versus you. Rile yourselves up, win the match. There you go. You're welcome. No payment necessary. Tie gap. Subscribe. The other thing that was um, funny from my side was the Australian way of uh, responding to media questions, especially, you know, when they're not so eager to take those questions in situations of a loss or situations where they were caught with their pants down or you get the drift. So it's always like, I like how, you know, almost every Australian response in, in that kind of a situation starts off with the 
twang. You know, this throwaway, like casual twang. Like, yeah. I mean, if I have to give you an example, uh, Tim Payne, let's say, he loses a match and he'll just come back and uh, the question would have been a loaded one and any other captain would have been would have gone on immediate defensive and come up with some reasons uh, or at least say that, you know, we'll really, we'll analyze it after we go back to the drawing room. Uh, we'll discuss it with it, uh, amongst ourselves. Now, the Australian way is different. It's just, yeah, you know, we just thought we wanted to do this. It didn't work out and uh, they played real well. And, uh, you know, it's done. What's done is done. This is very important. The third aspect, the kick, the final touch is what's done is done. Let's move on, on to the next one. You know, this, and I'm paraphrasing, but it always ends with this. No matter what they say, it starts off with that singy-songy twang. And it was, you know, it's done, and uh, we've got to think about the next match. We've got to move on, and uh, yeah, on, on. <laughs> you know? And so, almost every question is pretty much just brushed away like that. Oh, but what did Payne do after that sudden, um, you know, unexpected press conference after the Sydney test the next day where he specifically wanted to address his binta uh, with Ashwin? There was no twang there. Nah. No, 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 no. There it was sincere. It was, yeah, you know, I, I let the team down. I I dropped a few balls. I, could, I shouldn't have uh, behaved in that way. And, you know, very statesmanlike. Yeah, no twang, no throw-offish. No, let's move on quickly from this, please. No, none of that. Very different. And even, uh, you know, the, uh, Justin Langer's famous post-series speech, almost politician-like. Never, ever, ever underestimate the Indians. Now, a lot of Indian fans were, to say they were delighted, it would be an understatement. But me, not so much. You know, at Thaiga, we see things differently. And uh, when I saw that, I was like, wow, these guys are good. These guys are really good with their PR. Because to come out of the series and not just give a standard boilerplate, you know, response like grace and defeat... No, that was not enough. He went over and above. He went octaves higher. He pitched it up, really pitched it up. And he made such strong statements that you could almost guarantee that the media would spend quite some amount of time on those heavy, meaty, juicy, quotable quotes. Come on. Anyone who knows PR, anyone, anyone who knows media, the whole exercise, they can attest to this. That was packaged, that was stuffed, you know, with cheese and sides and oh, the pickles and olives. And that was just toasted to perfection and it was served up on a platter. That, that post-series um, speech was designed, if you ask me, to get caught in the media cycle, to get stuck. And also to appease a lot of people on the Indian side and also to distract some people from the other side of the equation. That is my theory. I'm, I'll be very interested to uh, hear any of your theories on that. What do you think about that? Of course, I don't have any proof, but this is just my theory. Very amusing. So I was thinking, what would uh, some of the Australian reactions be, you know, after similar situations? Let's say, you know, like how for Steve Smith after that incident, with, I'm not going to comment on the incident itself, but the whole Steve Smith rubbing out the guard of Rishabh Pant became such a huge thing. And Tipin almost was like, yeah, it's just a Steve being Steve. <laughs> you know, Steve. Yeah, ever since, he, ever since he was a little kid, 
you know, it's just betting. He just wants to bet all the time, you know. And, uh, yeah, that's just Steve. Steve's just being Steve. Hey. Okay, what about what about Cameron Bancroft um, back in South Africa? Yeah, you know, Cam. Ever since he was a little kid, he was very obedient. You know, he always did what uh, others told him to do. That's just Cam be Cam. Yeah. Justin Langer, they actually gave this uh, reason. Uh, this was literally the reason given. Justin Langer, he flipped those bales off when you're walking by in that match against Sri Lanka. Yeah, ever since, ever since he was 10, you know, there was a sentiment. He had a sentiment. that He, he walked by and touched the bale. Really? Some funny sentiments you guys have. What about Panta? Yeah, you know, I just Panta being Panta. You know Panta. It's a very grounded sort of guy. It's very down to earth, if you know what I mean. <laughs> very grounded. What about Pop? Ah, uh, Pop. Hey, you know Pop. Hey, you know Pop. Pop's always being Pop. Yeah, he's always loved his cricket. Uh, always stood his ground. Always stood his ground. Ever since he was a little kid, he stood his ground firmly, even if he nicked off the first slip. Anyways, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. It's not, I'm, like I said, I'm joking. It's just Bainta. It's just Bainta, mate. All right. Um, wow, this episode went long uh, and quite against our goal or objective of being within 30 to 35 minutes uh, short. And I didn't even get to my next tale of the great robbery uh, of the Wall Street. But um, I'll save that story for the next episode. But that's, ooh, that's a, that's a juicy one. All right, come back next week for that. And uh, who knows, maybe Brute will be out of jail by then or not. Don't really know. Really depends on how his behavior goes um, in that Kukarpali jail. Um, I'm not sure if I'm hoping for him to be released soon or not as well. Let's see. But until then, you guys know what to do. Tiger, subscribe and share, guys. And share. Hey, thanks for listening. You can follow this podcast on Spotify to get notified of new episodes every Thursday. We're also on Apple Podcasts for those of you who've partaken in the forbidden fruit. If you liked what you heard, leave us a five-star rating and a comment. Say anything like the quick brown fox jumped over the lazy dog. A rating and a comment really helps us out. It's free, and I'm told that's a great price. But enough about us, huh? Tell us about yourself. Leave us a comment. Our Twitter is at thigap and we are underscore thigap on Instagram.